Welcome back to the Stretch Run here on ESPN New Hampshire. Jimmy Murphy, your host. Timmy Button's working the boards here on a Tuesday. Now, the Red Sox have kind of stole the news cycle today, but there is uh, some Patriots news to talk about. And on to discuss the Patriots with us now as they prepare for the Baltimore Ravens, who they will host on Monday Night Football next week, uh, is Zach Cox of Nesson. Zach, how you doing, my friend? Zach, you there? Jimmy. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Jimmy. Thanks for having me. Hey, anytime, my friend. Uh, and as I said, a lot of news about baseball, obviously, today, but some more news uh, out of Foxborough in the last 24 hours, and unfortunately, not good news for the receiving core there, as Dami- Danny Amendola now is looking at missing, am I correct, four to six weeks with a high ankle sprain? Is that correct? Uh, the latest reports I've heard was he is almost definitely going to be out the rest of the regular season. They're hopeful to have him back for uh, for the divisional round. Okay. Um, again, we'll we'll see whether that's true or not, but I think that's uh, the latest thing I've, I've been hearing. And when this occurred in the last game? Yes, it occurred on uh, on that punt return late in the game uh, against the Rams, where he kind of limped off the field, then he went straight to the locker room. We didn't see him the rest of the day. And, uh, yeah, then it came up the next day that, was a high ankle sprain, which is obviously a pretty serious injury. Hey, Zach, you look, obviously, they get the news on Gronk the week before. He's done for the season, and now Amendola for the rest of the regular season. You know, the hits keep coming here when it comes to receiving, but luckily for the Patriots, and I, you know, I don't know if maybe I'm just being too optimistic here, uh, I think we're seeing the emergence of what eventually could be a star receiver in Malcolm Mitchell, and I think it's coming just at the right time. Um, what's been your take on his play and how he continues uh, to play a role in the Patriots' offense? I, I would agree thoroughly with that take. Um, he was a guy who who was impressive in the preseason and training yeah. camp. Then he went down with that elbow injury, and for the first five or six weeks of the season, you really didn't see him all that much. Um, I believe he only had... Uh, uh, before that big game he had in San Francisco, I think he only had 90 receiving yards all season. But then the last three games, he's been excellent. He's been um, one of their better receivers. It's really the, the trio of Edelman, Chris Hogan, and Malcolm Mitchell have been have been studs lately. I mean, they've they've been everything that the, the Patriots have needed with uh, with Gronk now out and now with with Amendola out for the uh, for the for the foreseeable future, at least the next month. You know, watching Brady over the years and, and covering him and what you've learned of him, when can you tell that he has started to develop trust in one of his receivers, his new, you know, a new receiver, a new guy on the scene, whether it be a rookie or a guy coming in uh, from another team? When do you, what are the things that show you that, okay, Brady, he's in the Brady circle now. Brady trusts him. Well, for one, it's you can't drop passes. Uh, we've seen in the past where you'll see, um, some younger receivers, if they if they mess up a route, they they drop an easy pass. They kind of have a, a miscommunication. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes Brady will uh, will kind of work with them, but sometimes he'll just freeze them out. Like we've seen that with some young receivers in yeah. the past. And I don't think he developed. It took Malcolm Mitchell a, a good while to develop uh, trust with Brady. I think really until that San Francisco game, where which was really kind of his his breakout performance. And I think you've seen in the last three weeks he's looking uh, he's looking Mitchell's way a lot more often. He's not relying just on Julian Edelman just on Gronk when he was out there. He's kind of uh, working Mitchell into this offense, which I think is going to be big for, for the Patriots moving forward. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know what? I was I liked him at Georgia, and I'm psyched to see him uh, starting to progress with the Patriots there. And like we said, it's coming just at the right time. Um, I think that, you know, because of that, the emergence of him, and if, if Bennett can get 
as close to fully healthy as he can. I, I think they're going to be all right in that department. Hey, uh, one department that has been a pleasant surprise this year has been the rushing game. And, and we knew it was going to play a big role when Brady was out. Uh, but it's, it has continued to play a great role and, and provided a luxury uh, for situations like this when maybe the Patriots aren't at full staff uh, on the receiving end and they, they can lean on the running backs and specifically LeGarrette Blunt. Uh, he can go in to the Patriots record books uh, this weekend. Explain how to our listeners. Well, he's one rushing touchdown shy of the Patriots franchise single season rushing record, uh, which was set by Curtis Martin back in uh, 1995. Then again, equaled in 1996. So that's that's 20-year-old record of uh, 14 rushing touchdowns in a season. Blunt already has 13 through uh, through just 12 games. And, I mean, I think he, he's been incredibly impressive for me this season, just the way he's been able to hold up. Like, people forget that he's had uh, a lot of injury concerns in the last year. He only, uh, I believe he only played 10 games last year with that, uh, before going down with that, that hip injury. He's been a workhorse. He already has a, he's already gone over his career high for carries. He needs 50 more yards to break his career high for rushing yards. Both of those were set way back in his rookie year. He's he's an older dude. He's a thirty year old guy, and he runs hard. But he's he's held up this year, and he's really been uh, one of the the more important parts of this Patriots offense, which you usually don't really say about about running backs here in New England. Yeah, you know it's interesting. I didn't realize, and I don't know if this is something he worked on and, it, and it's developed more this season. But I never realized how much breakaway speed he possesses and how, you know, he'll plow through the line there and then he's getting that extra yardage. Uh, and, and we see him do some, you know, hops over defensive backs as they're sprawling to get him and stuff like that. I I didn't see that in him in the past. Have you noticed that as well? Yeah, he's, I mean, I think his reputation is more of a, a kind of... A power guy, right? Power running, yeah. cool back. But yeah, he's shown some, some really good athleticism this year, which has kind of surprised me. You've seen, we've seen in the past that he's, he's pulled out some hurdles. He had a few of them this year. But the run that he had um, in the first quarter against the Rams, where he just put Maurice Alexander, the, uh, the, the Rams, yeah. he just, just in, a, in the spin cycle. The man was just spinning around. He didn't know what to do. He didn't want to tackle him because once a big dude, but he also couldn't catch up to him. It's, he's, he's really showcasing this. That He's showcasing the fact that he's not just a uh, hand this guy a ball, the ball on a half-back dive and give him four yards. He's, he's a guy that can make people miss. He can run around people, through people. He's uh he's been awesome. Yeah, it is. It's 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 been a great uh I won't say addition, you know, but I mean it's been a great revelation uh his play this season and it's really come at a good time uh considering the the Brady suspension and then some of the injuries they've dealt with with receiving. So uh that's definitely great for the Patriots. Uh you had a story on Van Noy and uh just the uh the way he's a cerebral guy there. Uh, why don't you talk about that? And also, I, I'm not sure if you've asked him uh, if that was part of the way he was able to lure uh, his, let's just put it easy on the eyes, wife. <laughs> uh, I can't speak to that, to that second part. But, uh, but we, just, we just um we chatted with, with Matt Patricia, the defensive coordinator, on a, a conference call just a, little, uh, just a few hours ago, and he was talking about Van Noy's kind of ascension into this Patriots defense. Um, I mean, this was a guy who, when the Patriots traded for him, he didn't play a single snap for a month. He was uh, there was a bye week in there, but he was a healthy scratch for for two for two separate games as he was kind of just adapting to this this whole Patriots system. And uh, ever since he made his debut in in San Francisco a couple weeks back, he's he's been great. He's been I think a lot of people viewed Alandon Roberts as the guy that was going to benefit the most from from Jamie Collins being uh, being shipped away. But it's been Van Noy so far. He's played. I think he played seventy nine percent of the defensive snaps on um, against the Rams. 
he's he's a guy who's he's rushed the passer. He's he's played well in coverage. He's um he's not a superstar by any means. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. He's not even probably one of the better. I I, I think he's third right now in the depth chart behind uh, behind Hightower and McClellan. But for I mean a guy, a guy you traded a seventh round pick to get uh, that I, I got to say they've won that trade already. Yeah, for sure, and. and... You know, it's interesting, right, because there's been so much change and turmoil and controversy surrounding the defense. And, you know, I'm not saying that, the you know, the last two games have been against uh, top-notch teams. Not by any means. And, and I get you can't completely judge where they're at right now. But I don't think I don't think it's fair to disregard what they've done. And I've seen mm-hmm. – it's a great point by you. He's, he's starting to really fit in there, and he's become a – a good clog in that defense right now. Um, but I think as a whole, I don't know. I, I, I feel like maybe I'm just in a good mood today. I don't know what it is, but I, <laughs> I really don't. I look, I was thinking about it today on the ride to work and I was, they're coming together a bit. They seem more cohesive out there. And I don't know if you're noticing that or not. And that doesn't matter who you're playing or not. That's just something that happens and it can't come at a better time. Yeah, I mean you can't fault the uh you can't fault the team for, for the teams that are on their schedule. You just gotta ask that they uh that they take care of business against whoever they're playing. And I mean, again, these last three weeks the quality of competition's been pretty low against uh San Francisco, the Jets and the Rams, but they've they've done what it takes. Um this game against the Rams I think was their best defensive effort of the year by far, except for maybe the uh the Houston one earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh they, they held them without held them to I think twenty five y- uh total yards in the first half. Kept them out of the end zone until the very, very end of the game with that garbage time touchdown. And uh, I mean, you look at, you look at the, the schedule they're going to play the rest of the way. They got Baltimore, Denver, the Jets again, and Miami. None of those teams have super high powered offenses. So I think we won't really know until the postseason if this team, this defense, is really kind of championship caliber. But um, I mean, against the teams they're playing so far, they've 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 done what they need to. They've need to needed to of late. And I like the fact that they're getting turnovers now. They're they really uh, they had a long drought without any uh, any takeaways. They've had four in the last two games, two interceptions against L.A. So, I mean, I have to say they're trending in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, and I, I get what you're saying about we're not going to know to the postseason because these aren't championship-caliber teams. But at the same time, these are teams coming up right now that all have, with the exception of the Jets, the three out of those yep. four teams are teams that are, are playing for their playoff lives and all have something to play for. And, I mean, that Miami game... At the end there, well, you know, earlier in the year, it looked like maybe it wasn't going to mean anything for either team. Now it can mean the world for both because Miami could be fighting for their, their playoff life and the Patriots will be fighting for home advantage, likely, uh, with Oakland. Um, so the fact that they're meaningful games and, and there's something on the line there other than just a W, uh, to me, if it means something and, it, and the defense comes through, they're coming through, and I I think that does show you where they're at. Like I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. It's it's mentally, no, no, no. I, yeah, I, you know I, what I mean. I know, what you, I know what you mean for that. Yeah, I was I was more saying that the offenses that they're going to play, right? Over these next okay, weeks aren't aren't going to light up the scoreboard. They're not right. going to play the the Raiders or or the Cowboys or any of these teams. But yeah, there are a couple. Uh, I think this this final stretch is going to be a lot more difficult than I think we envisioned it being a yeah. couple weeks ago. Which I kind of like, right? I'm excited for this. Yeah, I'm excited for this Ravens game this uh, oh, yeah. this Monday night. This should be. I mean, obviously the, the Patriots and the Ravens have had some battles in the past, and the Ravens have played well lately. I mean, they were kind of treading water earlier this season, but they've won. Uh, they've won four or five. They just destroyed the Dolphins last weekend, 
And they're a team that's currently uh, atop the AFC or AFC North, rather. Even though they're only seven and five, they're a dangerous team. They're a team that can win in Foxborough, yeah. which not many teams can say. So. I think it's going to be a hell of a game. This is the Ravens' time of year. It always is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is when they turn it on, and they've always been a thorn in the uh, in the Patriots' side. So, yeah, I, I think it's a huge test. And, you know, I just – I like – a lot of people are comfortable with, you know, the, the season being wrapped up by now and these next few games. I mean, I love this. I mean, I, I think – I'd rather my team, if I'm a coach, be playing meaningful games down the stretch – and games that have that playoff feel heading into the playoffs. So you kind of get into that mindset and you, you sort of ride that in, given that you, you're successful doing so. But um, I, I think it helps mentally, uh, for sure, when you when you get to playoff time, that you've already sort of played in that kind of atmosphere. And I, I think that's exactly what the Patriots are about to embark on. So it should be good stuff, my man. Uh, looking forward to continuing to watch your, your coverage on Nesson and Nesson.com. Keep up the good work, all right? Hey, thanks a lot, Jimmy. All right, that's Zach Cox of Nesson.com joining us here on the stretch run on ESPN New Hampshire. Uh, it is. It's going to be some fun football heading down the stretch here uh, for the Patriots. And I, I think that bodes well for their mental mindset come playoff time. I, I, I think last year we saw them sort of put the brakes on. Understandably, they wanted to stay healthy. And, you know, they didn't consider home advantage that important. And it ended up coming back to haunt them uh, when they had to go into Denver. They probably won't have to go into Denver this time. But no matter where they potentially have to go, wouldn't you rather just be your own building? I mean, and I honestly think Baltimore's going to put the brakes on them next week. I think it, that's that's going to be a tough game, man. No, I think tough. You I think mean, they get Baltimore's going to win? Going to kill them. Really? Yeah, I really do. You heard it here. We've... We, that's, re- I, that's recorded, I, my friend. I didn't want to do what happened Jimmy Button to the tight end. I didn't want to do what happened to Amendola. But without two more of those options out there, oh, my God. We know Brady's going to be, quote, harassed, touched, whatever, 22 I'll tell you times. What they still have, though, is Blunt. And they don't. They've got a lot Baltimore's of great things. Rush defense but not what is they not had. That great. Their secondary is good. It's in the bank for the Ravens. Well, I'm telling well, you. We might have to put a wager on this, Timmy. We'll see. We'll discuss this as the show goes on, my friend. All right. So there's Timmy Button's. Uh, just under a week before the big Monday night football tilt, making the bold prediction that the Baltimore Ravens will come into Foxborough, as they have before in the playoffs and the regular season, and win a big one against the Patriots. We shall see. But we're going to switch gears in the next segment, talk some Boston Celtics with our good friend Jeff Hickman of ESPN New Hampshire. So stay with us. The stretch run will be back. And that ain't what you want to hear, but... Period. Keep it here on ESPN New Hampshire at ESPNNHradio.com. The stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas, the prairie sky is wide and high. Deep in the heart of Texas. Six down five. Jonas Jurecko. Jonas Bonus. Three ball. My man. <laughs> Next Celtics possession. This time it's Al Horford. Had a great game for the most part, but wasn't flawless. Part of a 19-2 run. Fourth quarter. Celtics up six. Marcus Meyer. Watch the button. This is Jimmy. That get that shot out of here. And he doesn't just swat out. He bends him back like a pretzel on Montrez Harrell. Later in the fourth, tie game. Trevor Ariza finds Montrez Harrell. Uh, 
Or the Can't let slam. that happen. Can't let that happen late in the game like that. There clearly was some miscommunication there. So this is how Harden can beat you in so many ways. Ooh. Off the dribble, draws the contact. Three ball, puts him up five. Game out of hand. Not, not so fast, my friend. Not at all. Avery Bradley, they roll it two. They look at it. Upon review, what is it? Deep in the heart of Texas, the oil wells are full of smell. Deep in the heart of Texas, the cactus plants are tough on pants. And welcome back to the stretch run here on ESPN New Hampshire. Jimmy Murphy, your host, Timmy Buttons, doing a great job on the boards, filling in for Justin Sullivan here. And he, I, I thought he was he was going to be all surprised and happy about the Gene. He's like, I already heard my Gene Autry. What were you watching again? The movie Semi Tough, Chris Christopherson, Burr Reynolds, and that's all it is. Like, you mean you didn't get it? In the words <laughs> of Gene Autry, nope. <laughs> And uh, as we said in our last say, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna hear a lot of sports talk on here, but you're gonna hear a lot of music talk as well on a stretch run, as uh, as one Bob Snow described a great story about his uh, encounter at 17 years old with Jim Morrison at Matthews Arena at Northeastern. Interesting stuff there. Only on the stretch run, right? But anyhow, we're gonna talk some Celtics right now, and I don't know what his cup of tea for music is. I'm imagining it's not Gene Autry, uh, but he's joining us right now. You can hear him. Frequently on ESPN New Hampshire as a host or co-host on the Celtics pregame show, and his name is Jeff Hickman. Mr. Hickman, how are you today? Jimmy, every time I hear that song, all I think of is Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> That's Not right. Not to say that I don't like Gene Autry, especially around the holidays. <laughs> you know, a lot of the Gene Autry classic Christmas is uh, pretty good, but uh, I like everything. So, you know, I'm all good with uh, little Gene Autry. That is good call, man, there. I was like, you know, it's ringing in my head, and I'm like, why does this song, like, I mean, I know the song, but I'm like, what was this in? What was, and you're exactly right. It was Pee Wee Herman. Good stuff. Good my call. My friends and I, when, we, when we're in, a, uh, like, a parking garage, when it echoes, there's nothing funnier than one of us just popping out with uh, the stars at night are big and bright, and the rest of us have to kind of follow suit. Good stuff, good stuff. Now, uh, the Red Sox uh, are stealing the news cycle thunder today, uh, Jeff. But you know what? We would be remiss if we didn't mention the Boston Celtics. And, yes, they lost down in Houston last night. Uh, but, you know, we had Chris Forsberg on yesterday, and he was talking about where they are at the quarter mark. And, you know, they they don't have a signature victory yet. Now, I don't know if there's such a thing as a signature loss. I don't know if they, if you, you know, if I'm just creating that right now or if there is, but you know, I know they're not going to look at it this way right now, but I think there was a lot of good things to take away from that, that loss in Houston. You go down into Houston, you face one of the hottest teams in the NBA. You, a team that just snapped the winning streak of the golden state warriors. Uh, their best player plays a great game. I mean, he, he lit it up. He had a lot of points, um, and you lose by just one, and, you know, there's some controversy to that loss, and maybe it could have gone the other way if for, if not for some controversial calls. What was your takeaway from this game? Well, I, I mean, I think there's a couple of things. I think what we've seen is a pattern of the, the Celtics playing very well offensively, um, especially against teams like, you know, the, the Houston Rockets, a team that can put up points. Um, but defense has what was the hallmark of this team over the last couple of years, 
seems to have disappeared into thin air. They are not a very good defensive basketball team. And regardless of Jay Crowder or Marcus Smart or Avery Bradley, some of the best defenders uh, you know, in the Eastern Conference, if not the league, at their positions, they're not getting it done. Um, and, you know, again, it, it, you're not going to stop necessarily James Harden, but uh, you're certainly not going to give up baskets the way that they did last night. And, frankly, you know, the one open basket we did have at the end of the game with Al Horford uh, just didn't have to go in. But, you know, the, the bottom line is that this team is pretty good offensively. They're in sync, but I don't know where the defense has been, and I don't know how they can get it back. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the things we've been talking about throughout the season, right, is their their loss of their identity and almost like they thought some other identity was going to be formed here, and but they just they don't seem to know what it is. And maybe, you know what, go back to, you know, who you are and what your roots are, and that, that has been the problem. But, I mean, I look at it, look, they come away one point loss out of Houston, and, and I guess, yeah, you could say, well, if they played better defense, they probably would have won, and I, you're exactly right, but... I do think that they could get some. They could gain some confidence from that game there because if you look at the times they've played teams that are on paper better than them or you know are, are a little more superior than them, they haven't competed well. They haven't been in those games, and so that was the first one to me where they were really like, "All right, we're battling, man. We're in this," and and you know you hope that continues as they go on here. Well, and you can see that they can hang with teams like that, which should give you some level of confidence that this team isn't as bad as you think they might be. Um, but that said, you know, we're not disappointed with the record. You know, it's 12-8, and eight and, you know, you've got uh, Al Horford's missed 10 games, Jay Crowder's missed 8, um, you know, and so on and so forth. Marcus Smart's missed a few, Kelly Olenek. So the, the fact that they're above 500 at this point, we should be happy. But again, we haven't seen games, as you said, that are sort of these signature wins, these, you know, kind of statement games, so to speak. I mean, they played like crap against the Philadelphia 76ers, and, you know, they, granted, they, they won the game, but it wasn't pretty. So I, I think people are looking for them to sort of uh, put it all together in one shot, um, and I think that's ultimately what the statement game will be. But I don't know necessarily that we're going to see it anytime soon. I think they're just still uh, kind of, trudging along, and my hope is that Danny Ainge is seeing the same thing and decides that, you know, he may want to tweak this roster before the trade deadline. What do you think of that uh, controversial no three-pointer there uh, towards the end when they you know, they go to Seacockets for the review and they don't get it, and, and still, I don't know, I, I watch it and watch it and watch it, and it still looks like it was a three-pointer. What was your take? I, I think at this point, you know, uh, I'm, I've never been a fan of replay in basketball or in football mm-hmm. um, because I, I just think it takes away an exciting element of the game mm-hmm. um, and a human element of the game. And I think in that case, we spent all that time sitting there waiting to see whether or not the foot was on the line. Um, it is what it is. I mean, the call is what they make it. And um, I think, you know, the Celtics just have to be able to move on. Would it have adjusted the game? Sure. Um even with that, we had a chance to win the game at the end and, and missed. So there were other opportunities the Celtics could have capitalized on. You know, so as a, if I'm coaching the Celtics, I'm looking at it saying, you know, look, you, you got to move on. It, it, it's it's unfortunate. You know, there's going to be good calls, bad calls. We see it all the time. I mean, you look at guys like LeBron James who just drive with reckless abandon to the basket. He's going to yeah, get yeah. the call every time, yeah. whether or not it's a foul. So, you know, these things are just part of the game. All right, let's look ahead uh, to Orlando tomorrow. They're in Orlando to play the Magic. Um, and, you know, 
this is looking like a game now. I'm kind of worried. You know, you, you you get up, you have such a crazy game with a with a, a better team last night and a big, you know, what could be considered a bigger game. Is there the fear of a letdown tomorrow? Um, I think there could be. Um, you know, I, my guess is that you know they're going to be on the road, uh, so that that initial punch from Orlando is probably going to be heavy. They got to keep guys like Peyton um, and Vukovic under control. Um, and don't let them get off early. Uh, but again, you know, the, the, the Celtics have kind of been Jekyll and Hyde, right? I mean, so we, we don't know what to expect out of them in the first quarter or the second half, for that matter. They were down by 10 at the half last night. Um, so, I, but I, I mean, again, Orlando's not, you know, an earth-shattering team. The Celtics should be able to win that game. I just would like to see them win it in convincing fashion. Um, and, and that means across the board, offensively and defensively. Yeah, we shall see, and that, that has been the problem. We'll see what happens. Listen, my friend, always a pleasure. We'll get you on down the line. Thanks a lot. All right, Jimmy, see ya. All right, that's Jeff Hickman of ESPN New Hampshire. Join us in our next segment. We are going to go and examine and dissect the Red Sox trade today with Lou Maloney of WEI.com. We're going to see if maybe we can stream some of the current Red Sox press conference going on uh, regarding those trades at the winter meetings right now. So stay with us. The Stretch Run will be back on ESPN New Hampshire. And welcome back to the Stretch Run here on ESPN New Hampshire. I'm your host, Jimmy Murphy. Timmy Buttons filling in for Justin Sullivan, working the boards. And, you know, as we prepared for this show this morning, uh, you know, I'm doing my Celtics news and booking a Celtics guest, and, uh, booking a Bruins guest, a Patriots guest, the usual winter stuff, you know, and we're going to wait and see what the Red Sox did at the winter meetings. And you knew they'd probably be active, but, man, did they steal the news cycle today uh, as they made two huge deals to improve both the bullpen and the starting rotation? Oh, we lost Lou. We'll get him in a second. We'll call him right back. And we are going to be joined shortly uh, by Lou Maloney of WEEI.com if our phone system doesn't hang up on him again. Uh, lots of crazy phone stuff going on here today. Uh, <laughs> we, we had one guest, one guest try to call us, and it, it went through to the... Um, the station next door. Uh, so there's, uh, there's a little poltergeist, I think, going on with the phones today here at ESPN New Hampshire. So we apologize for that. But, of course, the big news today, not just here, not just, uh, you know, in baseball, but across the sports world, uh, has to be the gigantic moves that the Red Sox made. And I would imagine more specifically uh, the Chris Sale acquisition as the Red Sox send third baseman Yoan Mankata. Right-handed pitcher Michael Kopik, outfielder Luis Alexander Basabi, right-handed pitcher v- Victor Diaz to the Chicago White Sox in exchange for Chris Sale, uh, a perennial Cy Young candidate. And then earlier in the day, they acquired relief pitcher Tyler Thornburg from the Milwaukee Brewers for Travis Shaw, 
Uh, right-handed pitcher Josh Pennington, shortstop Mauricio Dubon, uh, and either a player to be named later or Cash going to the Milwaukee Brewers. And on to discuss these moves with us right now is former Red Sox and current host on the Midday Show on WEEI, Lou Merloni. Lou, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, especially after that news. Wow, wow. wow. I mean, Bombshell. yeah, I mean, I was just saying, I'm sitting there, you know, I wake up, I'm reading news, preparing for the show, and then, uh, man, the Red Sox uh, took over the news cycle. Um, Lou, we knew to be active, uh, but uh, my question to you is, did you did you expect it to be this soon at the meetings? And, and secondly, uh, did you expect they would actually go out and get Chris Sale? Because last I had read at various outlets was that he was likely headed to Washington and that the Red Sox were only sort of dipping their, their toe in the water there, kind of getting feelers, but not that they yeah. were right there ready. Well, I tell you, it wasn't really until last night. And obviously, everybody thought the Nationals were, were the team that he was going to be going to. Um, but when I saw what the Nationals were giving up, and, and even though there's two very good prospects in Jolito and Robles, I said, well, you know, the White Sox aren't looking for big league guys in return. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're looking for prospects. And the Red Sox have, you know, and, and Moncada obviously being the big piece here, the number one prospect in baseball, as we saw last year, obviously he's going to be a good player, but there's still work to be done. You don't know what positions can play defensively. There were some struggles from the right side throughout the minor league system, very good from the left side. And we saw the curveball kind of exposing him a little bit, but still uh, going to be a great prospect. But, the minute I saw that they weren't involved in, in guys, like demanding guys, like, say, off the big league roster, uh, like Jackie Bradley. You know, Trey Turner wasn't involved in Washington, so no Jackie Bradley, maybe no Erod or, or even Mookie Betts or Xander. That wasn't going to happen. He started thinking, wait a minute, the Red Sox got this. You know, they've, they've got these kind of prospects in the minor leagues. Why wouldn't they be involved? They should have been involved. And I think in the end, I, I actually I thought it was Mokata would be included with either Groom or Kopech. And then I thought, well, after that is going to be interesting. You know, are they going to want a Swihart? Are they going to want a Erod or Jackie or somebody off a big league roster? And it just didn't come to that. So I think that it was something that Dave was indeed comfortable with, and, and it was a move that obviously bolsters this team. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there right now saying they gave up too much for him and, you know, oh, well, look at he, – he seems like a bleep hole in Chicago and he's a clubhouse distraction and all this – and. You know, for once, can't people just be... They just got a perennial Cy Young contender, added it to a rotation that was already pretty stable. Uh, Yeah, they didn't come through in the playoffs, but, you know, hopefully Price will turn that corner finally. But now they have a guy like Sale who maybe can take a little pressure off the pressure that Price was feeling. What's your take on sort of the negativity uh, reaction to this? There's some people that wake up every morning can't wait to be offended. There's also people that wake up every morning that can't wait to be miserable. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know why you'd be upset over this deal at all, to be perfectly honest with you. This is a news flash, but the Red Sox actually get to participate in the draft again next year. Yeah. You know, like they actually do. And, and you know, I know they have some restrictions in international pools, but in the future they'll be able to dive into that as well. You know, two years ago, a year and a half ago, Raise your hand if you ever heard of Michael Kopech before. Mm-hmm. Okay, there'll be another one. They just drafted Jason Groom. They'll have another kid, flamethrower, coming up through the minor leagues. Yes, they've depleted it. There's no question about it. But you've got to look at what you've got in return. And a depleted farm system, there's a lot of teams that get really probably pissed when they start hearing about the Red Sox depleting their farm system or, or giving up on the future. When your big league team includes guys like Xander Bogarts, Mookie Betts, Jackie Bradley, Andrew Benintendi, a catching position that is extremely young, 
you are already loaded mm-hmm. with young players. Mm-hmm. What are we worried about kids that are in A-ball or double-A or even just prospects that, you know, a guy like Makata is going to be a great player, but for the love of God, two years from now, the number one prospect in this organization, you don't even know what his name is right now, Yeah, but there's going to be one, and he's going to be a pretty good prospect, too. Uh, so it, if you got an opportunity to get one of the best contracts in baseball as well as the one the best pitchers in baseball, you jump on it. You do jump on it. And you know what? I love his edge, too. I mean, look, I, did I like what he did with the whole uniform thing? No, but you know what? Sure. I think he's going to bring some attitude that that rotation desperately needs. I think they have really good pitching on this team already, but I felt mm-hmm. like they just didn't have that sort of that attitude, that sort of loopiness, that craziness. You know, I think pitchers, good Really good pitchers, if you look at it through the course of history, are much like goalies in hockey. They're always a little off. They're always a little loopy, right? But yeah. that's part of it, and that's what makes them so good. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think part of the, what you saw in spring training from Chris Sale was, I've had enough with Chicago. It's about time you deal me. Yeah. Because I can't take it anymore. I can't take what's going on. And then every little thing started to just bother him. Whether it was the uniforms, Adam LaRoche, little Drake LaRoche, he didn't like the front office. He didn't like the direction they were going in. He didn't like much, and I think he wanted to get out. And I think it was just a bad situation for him. He does bring edge. Uh, he's a control pitcher who leads the league and hits batsmen every single year. He is filthy. He is nasty. And I think also Thornburg is a great addition, too. I mean, just Travis Shaw man. is just a block. Yep. You know? yeah. I mean, he's a nice security blanket, but you can find that here still in this offseason. And Mauricio Dubon, are we really going to start complaining about losing Mauricio Dubon, who's a good player in double-A, um, isn't like that guy that's a crazy power, uh, the combination of power and speed, he could be a utility infielder. Let's say he's a shortstop. What's the future of shortstop here at the Boston Red Sox? Yeah. So it's, 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 you've improved your bullpen with an eighth-inning arm that it was an elite bullpen guy last year. You got one of the better starters in the game. Today is a good day. It's you know, Lou. It's these millennials. These millennials. They're too in love with prospects. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I sound like an old man saying that, but so be it. Hey, the one thing I like about the Thornburg acquisition, besides just what he brings to the bullpen, is I feel like it, it might hold uh, the rest of the bullpen a little more uh, accountable, uh, specifically the current closer they have, who I thought really down the stretch did not deliver for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you agree yeah, with that? And I think it, yeah, you know, I, he, he had a strange year, right? Because Craig Kimbrell, in, in many aspects, when you look at his save situations, that he was still that dominant closer, and then other situations he just bombed. As you saw in the postseason, you got to go more than inning, period, mm-hmm. if you're a closer. you got to be ready to come in in the eighth. got to be ready to come in in the seventh sometimes. So that's a hurdle he has to get over. Um, but you've added a guy that uh, is kind of trending towards that next dominant eighth inning guy slash could be a closer of the future. Now, there's concerns, right? The 2014 elbow, mm-hmm. uh, he you know turned down Tommy John, went with rehab, so you get you know he's got some elbow concerns. So doesn't Carson Smith. A lot of people feel Chris Sale might might, but you know what? The healthiest guy with the perfect mechanics, you don't even know it yet, but he might have elbow problems. So there's risk, I think, with everybody. But when you beef up a bullpen, we see what wins right now in the postseason. It's get me to the sixth inning and then let me hand it to the bullpen. Play good defense. Two things that this team should be strong at. You think they're done, Lou? Or do you think we're gonna we're gonna see more? No, I think they're gonna get a bat. You know, I, I don't I don't see Edwin and Canarsion coming. Although now that you've got Chris Sale, I wouldn't mind them seeing him sweep the leg and just go and unload and give the money to Canarsion and just put this thing away. But at the same point, I, I do think 
from what you hear from Dombrowski, he pretty much, to me, explains Mitch Moreland, you know, to a T, a guy that can play first mm-hmm. base, DH, left-handed bat with pop. Mm-hmm. They need to replace what they lost in Travis Shaw. He's won the gold glove this year at first base, so I'm sure they'll be interested in him. We'll see what the asking price is. And another guy, fallback, might be a guy like Luis Valbuena, who's in Houston, who also has some pop on the left side. Maybe more importantly than Moreland, has some experience at third base to go along with first base, because as much as maybe we want to talk about Pablo Sandoval, it might not be a bad idea to have a guy with that kind of versatility to be able to play over there at third. They sit, yeah, I was just going to ask you about him, and they seem, I mean, obviously they're going to paint this picture for us, but, I mean, they do generally seem uh, encouraged by what he's done uh, in the offseason and getting into shape and his attitude. Is this all just a, a show by them, or do you think they really are sincerely optimistic when it comes to Sandoval? Well, I think they are, just by seeing like what he looks like right now. I mean, weight-wise, you know, it has been an awful two years for Pablo Sandoval, but what we forget is somewhere in that body, in that, in that you know, too much body fat obeseness, there is a pretty good player, mm. you know, and there's a reason why he was good out in San Francisco. So, you know, when you look at the Hanley Ramirez situation going into the season last year, it was, if this guy wants to, mm-hmm. he can play first base. If he wants to, he can be an impact in this lineup. For Pablo, it's if he's in shape, he is still a good baseball player. He might not be 330 home runs, but his career is still a 280 guy. He can pop mid-15, no, 17 bombs, and he can be a productive player for you offensively and defensively. So it's just a weight issue. The kid's a, a good player. Now, do I, do I trust that he's going to remain in shape? Eh, that's why I like to have a little insurance behind it. Yeah, and one thing, too, I think people forget, uh, you would hope, too, this kid's got pride, you know, and, and like, sure. he doesn't want to he doesn't want to go down and be remembered like that. He wants to turn it around, I would think, and, you know, he's he's, win, he's won a World Series, or he's he's proven he can play in the clutch. Uh, he wants to show that he can do that again, so I, I think that's something that people tend to forget, and, you know, hopefully he can dig deep and find that and come back. Lou, before we let you go... Um, I, I know that you must be so excited about them picking up the option on John Farrell. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's um, first off, they, you know, they, they should, right? Yeah. You don't need a, a lame duck manager going exactly. there last year and, and really picking up that option. First off, doesn't really doesn't really mean anything as far as job security goes. Yeah. Obviously, he's got a great team now with Sale and Thornburg and everybody else that he has, but if they do underperform, it's not going to stop them from moving on. You know, and so they, they, they should have picked it up. They it's a nice reward for the season they had last year. As much as I say about him, I don't believe he's a great manager. The team did perform, and they performed down the stretch, so it was a reward that they should have given him. Uh, I do think this has maybe a little bit to do with, with, with Dombrowski, to be perfectly honest with you, before today when he went absolutely nuts. Uh-huh. You know, the last year hasn't exactly been great for him, right, with, with some of the signings and the moves he made at the trade deadline. So imagine Dave Dombrowski firing this manager who just won the AL East in 93 wins, bringing in his own guy, and that guy not making the postseason. Now all of a sudden all the heat comes on Mr. Dombrowski here in Boston area or this area here. So it, it, it's a way for it to take some heat off of him to continue to have maybe a little side, you know, scapegoat there on the side in case things don't go well. But overall, I mean, you know, listen, even I'll admit that John Farrell deserved that extension. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm with you. I mean, it, it's a procedure, the way I look at it. It's just, it's it's what they had mm-hmm. to do. It doesn't mean anything, like you said. It doesn't lock him in. Um, and they're not going to mind paying the money if things go bad and they have to fire him. They're not going to mind it at all. Lou, always right. a pleasure, my friend. Uh, where can you we find it. you? You on Comcast tonight? I am tonight. We'll be there all night long talking about it. All right, man. We'll be sure to tune in. We appreciate you taking the time. You got it. Anytime. All right. That's Lou Maloney at WEEI and Comcast joining us here. Also a former Red Sox as well. 
great take he has there, and I agree with everything he said there. This is this is a great day for Red Sox fans. Embrace it, enjoy it. Don't don't be that guy that has to wake up and complain all the time. Enjoy this. That rotation's looking nasty. That bullpen's looking nasty, and the lineup was already looking good. Yes, they lost David Ortiz, but they'll get some bats and they'll make it work. I think the future's uh, the immediate future is really bright right now, and also the long term. Despite what people think. Uh, when they give up these prospects. Like Lou said, look at the team they have right now. It's not like these are all aging veterans. They're young players. This is a young, young core that arguably developed a little faster than people expected in the last year, right? I mean, nobody saw that coming. So be happy with that. I mean, it can only go up is the way I look at it. There'd have to be a collection of horrible things going wrong at once for things... To go south here. As long as the owner doesn't smudge his glasses again and try to tell us what was the percentage of body fat that he said Pablo had last spring. Oh, I don't remember. Jimmy, you can tell people I'm heavy set. Yeah. Wasn't I about a hundred pounds under Pablo last yeah. spring? Oh yeah. It's sad. Yeah. But like you know, like I said to Luke, this guy's human, man. He's gotta have pride. And any guy that played, I don't know if you remember watching him in the World Series with the Giants. I mean, this right. guy was like I'm not going to put him on the level of Reggie Jackson, but he was clutch, you know? And and I think the history out there with that manager says he must have been mostly on the straight and narrow. Yeah. This was just I signed that big final of my career contract <laughs> let myself go. Yeah. But that's not going to be the but problem now. Him, I want to come back right now yeah. and have one great year, Yeah. and then I can go eat all I want and sit in the Caribbean and do and whatever And I think I after want. he had that one good World Series, which is, you know, they were in every other year— he then did get his act together and played great baseball right. out there. So I think he comes back, but I agree with Lou. Can't hurt to have a little uh, insurance policy there backing him up. So they'll do that, I'm sure. Listen, this is the stretch run on ESPN New Hampshire. I am Jimmy Murphy. That is Timmy Buttons. We get back.